I want to tell you about my friend Andrew, a very able physicist studying his doctorate at Yale, a, an award-winning wrestler, a coach for the Yale women's rowing team, a somewhat neurotic Jew. Andrew decided that his life was on the up. He had and achieved all that he had desired. But now is his time to take a job, having graduated. There are a number of jobs on the table. He was pretty uh, popular in terms of his skills. He ends up taking the job that he always promised himself that he never would. He took the job for the American military, which was to design bigger, more powerful bombs. He came to me and said, Reese, I've been unsure whether to take this job, but in the end, it pays really well and you get a wonderful health insurance scheme. So Andrew started working in Boston at the Lincoln Laboratories, building bigger and better bombs. Not many of us can get to the end of our 20s without facing some kind of spiritual or moral dangers. It might be that someone in your family or yourself develops a serious sickness. It might be that relationships that seem so stable come unstuck. It might be that you don't live the dream and get just the job or the house or the car that you think you deserve. It's very easy in our 20s for the first time to start facing moral challenges that take us by surprise. And it's easy consequently to develop anger or bitterness perhaps some kind of despair or resignation. But of course, no one sees it yet. It's growing deep within. The theme of this week, this holy week, is that we would meet the Holy One of Israel and commit ourselves again to holy living. We need all the way through our lives to recommit ourselves to moral renewal. That challenge never departs. The alternative is moral hardening. We put on an armour. We try and keep the world out. We try and keep our inside lives safe from the gaze of others. But that kind of moral hardening, wearing an armour, leaves us cold on the inside. Moral renewal is what the Lord sets before us in this holy week. Now, there were lots of spiritual dangers in the year that King Uzziah died. Isaiah 6 verse 1. King Uzziah had been on the throne for over 50 years and the nation had seemed stable and safe. But now 
there's an insecurity in the air. What would come of this holy nation? This nation that was meant to be a light to the world. Well, in that year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says he sees the Lord. Of course, that's in itself a spiritual danger. No one can see the Lord and live. He sees the Lord. High and exalted, powerful, wonderful, majestic, seated on a throne. But perhaps he actually doesn't see so much of the Lord. He sees, well, the Lord's robe or perhaps just the hem of the Lord's robe seated on the throne. But there's still spiritual danger because Isaiah appears to be in the Holy of Holies where no one can go other than the high priest. Above him in verse 2 were the seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. These are like the CIA agents accompanying the presidential limousine, except in this case, the seraphim are protecting themselves from the holiness of the Lord. Their wings are shielding themselves. They're not protecting the Lord. He doesn't need protection. They're protecting themselves as they fly. And these seraphim were calling to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Their song is not just that the Lord's holiness is here in the temple, but that his holiness fills the whole earth. There's no escape. It's a kind of terrifying song. And not only that, in verse 4, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke, like meeting God at Mount Sinai, where there's smoke, there's thunder, there's earthquake. So here, there's a terror in the air. Perhaps Isaiah remembered that in Exodus 19, it was dangerous to get too close to the Lord on the mountain. So he cries out, verse 5, Woe to me! I'm going to die. It's all over. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord, the Lord Almighty. He can't do anything but recognize the great danger, the great spiritual danger he faces. Not unlike Peter in Luke 5, who when sees Jesus on the water says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. The first few verses of this chapter are full of spiritual danger. Now, in our world, we deal with spiritual danger in a number of ways. We get better education, and we figure that the better educated we are, the more moral we'll be, that the educational transformation we undergo will somehow seep down into our soul and change us from the inside. 
but actually that's a failed dream. Hitler's cabinet had more doctorates in it than any other cabinet in history. You can be very well educated and not morally renewed. But the other way we do it in 21st century Australia is to presume that the next technological advance will provide that breakthrough in my life that I seem not to otherwise get a handle on. We, we make technology a god. But actually, you can improve a car and you can make sure that if a car crashes, there might be pillows or... Is the word pillows? What do you... Airbags. Airbags, thank you. <laughs> that emerge and protect you from the worst kind of injury. But the problem in the end is that you and I are selfish and we want to get to our destination quicker and quicker. Technology in the end won't deal with our soul issues. And you and I face lots of spiritual dangers, if not just today, but this year or this decade. We might be unresolved in anger towards our parents or our spouse. We might face the spiritual danger that we don't see it easily or quickly of living for our CV. We think thoughts, perhaps gently, but they might take over, which devalue our friends. Our busyness, which can appear virtuous, can actually just be a very sophisticated avoidance mechanism to not deal with the issues that lie beneath. And of course, all of us are greedy. We all assume that we have the right to have the things we want. We face many spiritual dangers. It's just as well then that after Isaiah has fallen down and said, woe is me, that in verse 6 we read, one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. The image is a little bit ambiguous. Is he holding the coal in his hands or is he holding the tongs in his hands and the tongs have the coal? But whatever, with that coal, the seraphim touched my mouth, Isaiah says, and said, see this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Whether the coal comes from the fire that was burning the incense or from uh, the fire that was burning up the sacrifices in the temple is not so important. The truth is that the whole temple was designed to provide a way for people to find their way back to God. The, the coals applied to Isaiah's mouth Perhaps as a speaker, as a preacher, he was prone to sins of speech. Or perhaps it's just that out of the mouth, we see the overflow of the heart. Perhaps in applying the coal to Isaiah's lips, the seraphim is actually implying that his heart is also cleansed. 
whichever it might be, his guilt is gone and his sin is atoned for. The Lord has provided an expiation for his sin and has provided a propitiation for his own holy wrath. He is cleansed. It's a great feeling to be cleansed. A few years back I walked the South Coast track in Tasmania. It's a nine-day walk. You get flown in to Melaleuca, you land on the beach in the plane, you get out of the plane and then you walk nine days back to the road. It's a pretty rugged walk. You have to cross 13 rivers. Uh, but the, the scenes that you view along the way are just magnificent. So all the time that you're getting dirty and tired and bruised and scratched, you're reminding yourself of why you're doing it in the first place, the glories of the creation that you might see along the way. But there's nothing better than getting to day nine, getting to your hotel and having a shower that lasts about an hour and a half. <laughs> of course it's dealing with the outside dirt. And you look down around you and you see the foulness just kind of going down the drain plug. And you realise that you've been carrying that burden all along. Your skin breathes again. And almost more importantly, you feel like you can go out into the world and reconnect with people because you don't have that foul smell about you <laughs> that you and your clothes have been carrying. To get out of the shower, to put on clean clothes is just a magnificent feeling. And Isaiah experiences something of the power of cleansing in verse 6 and 7. The one who is most offended by Isaiah's sin is the one who provides the solution. The seraph doesn't say, come and get the coal yourself. The seraph doesn't say, you're disgusting, get out of here. Who let you into the Holy of Holies? God, the Holy One, makes his own servant holy. Like in Luke 5 again, where Jesus touches the leper. And it's not that Jesus is made unholy, but rather the leper, through the touch of the Lord, is made clean. No matter what our spiritual danger, and in our 20s and 30s we face some spiritual dangers just for the first time, moral renewal begins with a touch from the Lord. Moral renewal begins with a touch from the Lord. And it's not just that we need to go to the temple to receive it. In fact, listen to these words from Hebrews reminding us of what the temple can't do. Describing the tabernacle, the author writes 9 verse 9, this is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. They're only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. No, the writer goes on in verse 14, 
to give us these wonderful words. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we might serve, so that we might serve the living God. While Isaiah's cleansing was temporary and superficial, the cleansing of the Lord makes its way all the way down into our conscience and provides us with deep moral renewal. Well, this moral renewal is suggested in Hebrews 9, leads to service, and that's exactly what we see in Isaiah 6 too. Then Isaiah hears a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. He offers to serve the living God, having experienced something of that cleansing. But the interesting thing is, of course, that he's already been serving the living God in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4 and 5 of Isaiah. He's already been preaching. In a sense, this commission is oddly placed. It doesn't come at the beginning of the book. It's held back for five chapters. Why is this commission here? Why is suddenly now Isaiah prepared to serve and to go? Well, he had already, of course, served and had offered words of judgment to the people. But here, he's being commissioned not just as a preacher of judgment, but now Isaiah is the poster boy of renewal. He's a picture of what God wants to do for the nation. He's a picture in his own life, in his own experience. So the Lord says, Go and tell this people, verse 9, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous, make their ears dull, close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. You've got to keep preaching judgment, Isaiah. You've got to make it clear which side people stand on. Are they on the side of the Lord or not? Keep preaching until it becomes clear to everyone whether they belong to the Lord. Isaiah, of course, in verse 11 says, How long, Lord? This is just intolerable that I have to preach like this. But of course, he has to learn to suffer with the nation as a servant in his preaching. God says, well, you've got to keep preaching until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. There's an exile which has occurred. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. There will be yet another purging of the nation. You've got to suffer for your cause, Isaiah. As Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said the night before his own assassination, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been 
to the mountaintop. I don't fear any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Isaiah has been to the mountaintop. He's seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. And now his job is to take whatever the future brings. Isaiah is to be a preacher, to continue his preaching. He's to be a suffering servant. Isaiah is also to point forward to the day when there would be a remnant, a skerrick of hope in the land. But as the terebinth, verse 13, and oak leaves stumps when they're cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. It's not just that Isaiah is preaching God's plans. Now, Isaiah is a, a picture of God's plans. He's an agent in God's plans. He has a part in the story. Renewal of the nation started with Isaiah's call. And renewal of the nation ends with Jesus coming. For he too was a preacher, a preacher of parables which created division between those who heard, some who understood and some who refused to. Jesus himself was the suffering servant bearing the wrath of God in the city of God. Jesus becomes the holy seed, the small sign of life amidst a world of destruction when he rose from the dead on that first Easter day. Isaiah is not just a preacher, he's the poster boy. He's the picture of everything Israel will yet be. A holy God provides the holy seed to make us a holy nation. The biggest challenge in your life is not going to be your health or your poverty or your disappointments or animosity from the culture around us. The biggest challenge we have as God's holy nation is that we recommit ourselves to moral renewal. For as the writer of the Hebrews says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We need moral renewal because we want to see the Lord. What is holiness? Well, today at least, it's being open to being cleansed by God. Amen.